Lily Tomlin had an old joke, and it went like this. We're all in this together, by ourselves. And that's what it feels like in teaching. And that's why we're such great customers for people who come around and say, hey, let me give you this tip or this trick or sell you this box of techniques. And for a long time, I was one of those people that stored those up uh, like a hoarder. I had filing cabinets full of tips and tricks. And you know what? I never looked back at them. There's really been only one thing that I've brought forward with me. Uh, one thing that stayed true over 15 years of teaching. One thing that I've brought forward with me now that I'm a doctoral student. And that's this idea of daily reflection. And daily reflection within a very portable, very easy to do frame that takes 10 minutes. I've now got years and years of 10 minute writings. And if there's anything I could point to to say, hey, this is the thing that kept me going. This is the thing that helped me when I felt like I wasn't making any kind of progress. This is the thing that helped me figure out what I wanted to do next and where I wanted to go next. It would be that 10 minute writing. So I wanna kinda give you a little bit of backstory of how I even came to that or what I thought about that. Um, actually, I've, I've spoken about Natalie Goldberg and being my writing teacher, and she's the one that introduced me to this idea of 10-minute writing. But as far as using it for reflection, that was something I hadn't thought about until I read people like Stephen Brookfield, who makes the case that if we're not critically reflective about our practice, then what happens is we tend to take the blame for things that really aren't our doing. We, if we're not reflecting, look at it and sort of breed this dark codependency in ourselves, which is so easy to do when you're a teacher. To say, you know what, this is my fault. The whole reason that this is happening, that I'm having a bad class or the kids aren't learning, well, it's because I'm a terrible teacher. That is poison and you can't go there and so people like Stephen Brookfield and people like uh, researchers at the Harvard Business School and, and Martin Seligman at the University of Pennsylvania they found this sort of common thread about writing and one of the things that they found out was this thing that Harvard researchers called the progress principle and they looked at the diaries of knowledge workers, okay, <laughs> which is an interesting thing, I guess, that we could call ourselves as teachers because we are knowledge workers. So these knowledge workers turned over their diaries to these researchers and they did this exhaustive analysis of it and they found out that the most important thing that you can do to boost your happiness, your motivation, and even how you perceive yourself during the workday is to make progress in meaningful work. Now the way it becomes meaningful is when you start reflecting on it in a way that Dr. Seligman found. And so Martin Seligman found that if you take 10 minutes to write about three things 
that went well in your day, or as he called them, three blessings. This has a profound effect on your sense of well-being and as well on your relationships. And that's how you get to the meaningful work, is when you start deliberately looking for that meaning. And the fact that it does good for your relationships, that's important to teachers because for those of us who spend our days pouring ourselves in, pouring ourselves into and our love into other people's children, that means that a lot of times we don't have a lot left over for our own personal children or our families. And so Dr. Seligman's research says that writing down these three blessings helps us to remember and helps us to be present for our families. So stick around and I'm going to share with you what I've used for 15 years to keep myself grateful and focused. So the first question in this 10-minute framework is to ask yourself, what went well? I start with that one because our brains have a pretty strong neurological negativity bias. We remember the stuff that hurts us, and that sometimes serves us, but most of the time it doesn't, and it really doesn't. If you're trying to get better at your practice as a teacher, asking yourself what went well forces you to think through the things that you got right that are so easy to overlook, and that was me. Until I had to actually write about what's the success that you've had, I literally answered that prompt. I didn't start looking for those things. I didn't remember kids like Angel, who, yeah, he was an ironically named kid um, because he was anything but angelic. He was court-ordered into my night school class, and he didn't want to be there. This particular night that he showed up, my co-teacher had actually been to a party previously in the day, and she brought in a sheet cake that hadn't been eaten and it was this gorgeous sheet cake with blue and white frosting and I saw him for just two seconds eye that cake and I knew he really wanted a piece of that cake so I said hey Angel do would you like a piece of cake and he shrugged his shoulders in that cool way like you know what ifs and I was like, okay, well, just, you know, cut yourself a piece if you want one. And I walked away because I knew he wasn't going to get it if I was standing there. Um, that it would affect his pride if he were to get that piece of cake while I was standing there. So I walked away, and when I came back, he was finishing up a little bit of cake where he had gotten a ton of blue frosting. Um, in fact, when I asked him a question and he talked to me, I noticed that the frosting had stained his teeth blue. And I said, hey, I'm glad you got the cake there, Angel. But here's the deal. You owe me one page of writing for one piece of cake. And he was like, what? No. But before he could really get too far with that, I said, would you rather have a laptop or would you rather me put a piece of paper and a pencil in front of you? And it's like he didn't even know what he was saying. He was like, uh, a, a laptop, I guess? And I said, here's the thing, as it was booting up. I said, I teach, you know, in day school. And I teach some guys who are having trouble passing the end of course test. And they tell me that everything I give them to read is dumb and doesn't, like, make sense to their lives. 
But I'm wondering if you would consider helping me out by telling me a story um, that they could use, that I could use in my class. Like, how come you're court-ordered into my class? Like, if I gave you a structure that helped you tell me, like I'm going to draw out a couple of things where you tell me what happened first, what happened next, and what happened last to get you court-ordered in here. You think you could do that? And he shrugged his shoulders again, and I walked away. About 30 minutes later, I came back and said, how's it going? And he had this smile on his face, and he tilted the screen towards me, and I saw that he had actually written the story. Now, when I started reading it, it was full of errors, and the grammar was terrible. But he had written, and I said, Angel, you're a writer. You have stories in you. I knew it. And he's like, yeah, it was pretty easy. And then he smiled at me. And that smile meant that for once, Angel believed he had a voice. And when I went out of there that night, I remember turning the music up in my car and saying to myself, you got that kid to write. You got Angel to write. Don't forget that. Now, see, that's the kind of stuff that we forget. What I did isn't special. You do the same things. So don't forget that. So step one in the 10-minute writing is spend a couple of minutes writing down what you did well, what worked, what you can celebrate. We'll go to the next question in the next segment. So step two is to look at uh, what might need a little bit of work. What's one thing? And the important thing here, because we talked about the negativity bias, is to focus on progress and not perfection and to be gentle with yourself. You know, making mistakes is normal because you're human beings. We're human beings. We don't do things perfectly. Elizabeth Gilbert famously said that perfection and the pursuit of perfection is just fear and fancy clothes. So the more that you try to sell yourself on this idea of perfection, it kind of means that that's the most afraid you are. So if you want to turn your fear down, turn down your need to be perfect and be okay with your mistakes. Because if you can get at the root of why something went off the rails, if you can think about it for a couple of minutes, you can get better at tolerating those mistakes. That's also according to Martin Seligman's research. I mean, that helps you feel like you're a little bit more in control, too. And it helps you see down the road, yeah, I don't want to do that again. That didn't work, and I'm not going to repeat it. Then, if something like that starts to happen again, you'll know, okay, I've seen this before. I know I'm going to, I know how to handle this. And it actually makes you more successful. That's what Seligman's research found. So embracing your mistakes is actually a way to get better. It's kind of a paradox. And so when you do this step two, I wouldn't spend longer than two or three minutes on the question, what needs work? In fact, I'd say probably give it just two minutes. In the next segment, we'll look at the third question. This last question, that's the one you're going to want to spend the most time with. It's the one that can go 
really deeply. So I come to this last question, which is, what do I really want to do? I come to that by way of my own practice. It's a simple question, but it has profound implications. It's so easy to serve the day that you can forget your vision. And so many times I have these great ideas, but I haven't caught them. So they disappear like smoke. I also don't question my own motives enough. I say yes to things that I don't really want to say yes to, all because I don't sit with this question of what do I really want to do? Asking myself that also is a way to help me pierce my own ego. And it keeps me thinking about what is good or bad for me on so many levels. And that's why it's such an easy question to avoid and dismiss. So as you go deeper into that question, it's got sub-questions to it. And I don't mean sub as in substitute teachers, but questions that are underneath that. So the questions under, what do I really want to do, are, what aren't you saying? What aren't you doing? What aren't you dealing with? And the trick for this to work is to get other people's voices out of your head. Get the voices of your parents out of your head. Get the voices of your administrators out of your head. Get the voice of what I call the editor out of your head. That old, old tape that just runs the same criticisms on you that it always has. You're going to have to learn to turn that one down too. One of the ways you can do that is to answer it with what you've created. So another one of those questions is, what have you created? All of those questions fall under that idea of what do I really want to do. And that question is scary because how we answer that might mean that we have to change. It might mean that we have to change in fundamental ways that might break things around us. It might break us out of a job we don't like or a situation we don't like, or a relationship that we don't like. So when you sit with the question, what do I really want to do? It's kind of a scary question. It doesn't have to be super deep, though. If you want to use it just as practicing for getting better as a teacher, asking yourself what you really want to do, helps you cut away some of the nonsense that fills the day. It cuts the administrivia, and it helps you focus on, as Stephen Covey calls them, the big rocks. What are the most important things? So being very clear about what you really want to do helps you also be clear about its opposite, what you really don't want to do. My friend and colleague, Sarah Brown Wessling, who was the 2010 National Teacher of the Year, gave me this great advice. When I ended my year of service, I said, I'm not sure what to do next. And she said, maybe putting X's over all of the things you know you don't want to do 
is a good place to start. And that's always served me. It served me as a teacher really well. Because I thought, here's, here's the things I want to make sure don't happen again. But here's the things I really want to make sure that when my kids leave, that they walk out of here with. And just for me personally, asking myself, what do I really want to do? That helped me choose the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. So I hope you sit with these questions. I'm going to recap in the next segment all of these 10-minute writing questions and hope that you'll stay with me. So recapping this 10-minute writing, you want to find yourself 10 minutes that you can give yourself in the day. Like I said, mine's first thing in the morning. But it's wherever you can be by yourself and be quiet enough to let yourself answer those three questions deeply. And the questions are, what went well? What needs work? And what do I really want to do? And the more that you sit with those questions day after day after day, the more you will, as Natalie Goldberg said, penetrate your life and make yourself sane. That's one of the wonderful byproducts of writing. But more than anything else, it helps you to validate your experience and yourself on paper. There's really something to that because the paper always listens and the paper never judges. So if you want to write on your lunch hour, write on your lunch hour. I guarantee you your afternoon will be better for it. When you understand what's happening to you and why and how you might change it, which is what those questions help you do, that changes things for you. Annie Dillard is one of my very favorite writers. And she had this beautiful thing that she said in one of her books. She said, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. And think about that. you got seven days in a week, 52 weeks in a year, 365 days in that year that you can give yourself 10 minutes of it. The Tibetan leaders say this, that if you take care of the minutes, the years take care of themselves. So take care of your 10 minutes. Take care of yourself by giving yourself 10 minutes. I started with Lily Tomlin, and I want to end with something that she said as well. She said, the road to success is always under construction. So celebrate that you are a work in progress. Celebrate the fact that you suit up and you show up and you do your best to do good work.